0: at and Threat Track is a roundtable discussion of security trends and news. Full video of this program can be found on YouTube by searching for at and Threat Track.
1: So Ganesh, why don't you tell us about the uh, Stantico botnet?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks, Andy. Uh, it's not a new about it. It's been around since 2012, um, but the but it has a new. Uh, tactics which incorporated using you know, some sort of mining what kind of mining it's used and the tactics that's what I want to basically talk about it okay um, it's ca- currently holds about half a million strong bots in it okay I mean it's a pretty robust pretty it's big. been around for a long time initially it started as uh, password stealers I think uh, click fraud uh, ad injections and it's primarily targeting uh, users in Russia and, and those kind of countries like Russia, Ukraine uh, Belarus and Kazakhstan. Mm-hmm. Um, the new thing is uh, Monero crypting mining module. That's the one actually incorporated into the propagation method. Monero miner is, I think it varies between 50 at the lowest value and maybe 110 at the peak at this, at this moment of time. Okay. Uh, what's interesting is uh, the way they're using the up- obfuscation techniques. To where detection in you know, making harder for you know, analysis and maybe cover up of the, some um, protection mechanisms, mm-hmm. and also it does it compiles the mining module for the each victim. It's not one way, one module it uses for it. For example, user eight it compiles its own um, module, and for u- user eight will be slightly different. But the, the way these uh, researchers from the ESET does is uh, they did find out some similarities and c- came up with some interesting analysis techniques. And they're going to promise, actually, they're saying, you know, it's, the blog is so big, they want to come up with a second blog with how mm-hmm. these can be detected and maybe some other recommendations. Okay. I'm, I'm waiting for that one. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. It's uh, mining IPs. The IPs that we would actually communicate
1: with to, to get the mining going. Um, it was hiding them in hexadecimal formatted uh, text in YouTube video descriptions, which is kind of strange. Uh, you don't typically see something like that, but um, you know, YouTube was, was notified, of course, that this was going on,
2: and they've removed those videos. What they did use is that they basically used the XMR stack, open source um, coin miner program, and they heavily modified it. For example, um, yeah. they took out all the flab by removing the unnecessary functions, maybe nece- unnecessary in you know, callbacks, and they made it so compact and to the point. So, if anybody looking at it reverse engineer, they couldn't really make it uh, similarities between that code and the, this one because uh, it cleaned, it, so yeah, to speak. You cleaned it. Yeah, you cleaned it. If you do, if you do the file checks, some the sizes are different. Right. So that that's right. one way. Uh, what they're doing is. Um, they're using the mining pool they're not directly communicating with the mining pool which is uh, typical how any ni- um, pool mining pools will act instead they are using youtube headers to communicate to provide the seed to communication however how are they doing it for example um, let's say we have a threat track video and there is some description at the below of the video mm-hmm. in the description they have uh, hexadecimal value 16 digits or something sometimes more and uh, it has, uh, when you actually decode it as IPs of the proxy IP. Oh, okay. Uh, for example, um, in this one, uh, I'm showing it, this is the one of the example value here. Uh, in fact, it's a, it's a combination of two IPs. It's a two C2 IPs. Hmm. So the way it does is it tries to reach those uh, IP addresses, or C2, uh, proxy IP addresses. The first one, very first one, which is alive, it tries to communicate with that, and as soon as it he communicates, it tries to get the module downloaded to the local uh, to the victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not loaded onto the hard disk; it only stored on the memory. Okay, so it's harder to detect. It's harder to for detect for like an AV engine. AV you know, engine
1: typically they can't yeah read the file uh, yeah if it's
2: not if it's not written in the disk they don't really see. Yeah, it. there's no, there are no artifacts unless you have right. observed it for a long time. Right. And uh, already, actually, they had a certain modification to the way they're doing it. Instead of uh, an hexadecimal value, what they're doing is uh, they're using command line parameter to identify the YouTube parameters. For example, this would be of this format. Like, you have the URL and watch, and this is the parameter which, which actually calculates based on the victim IP, some hardware ID number, something like that. That's what uh, they're trying to figure it out because uh, it was really obfuscated, you know, they're trying to de that one. Right. It's going to be a little bit like whack-a-mole in that, you know, you, you've taken down
1: the videos that you were able to identify as having these, these encoded strings in there, but, you know, nothing really stops anyone from posting up new videos. So it's going to be a little bit of a challenge on Google's end to, to automate the process of, of detecting, you know, whenever this happens, and then of course removing it and remediating it.
2: It is executed in one or two ways. The first way is uh, by running a run exe, okay. And the second way is they use something called BATS. Uh, BATS stands for Browser Extension Downloader Service. I think what it does is, uh, as I said, it, it just stays in the memory. And it won't be written to the disk. But uh, when it tries to execute, it kind of decrypts and tries to communicate with whatever the IP proxy. Okay. So that's the uniqueness of the BATS. Yeah. um, that's different.
0: Now, what's interesting about this is that the research has already alerted YouTube to how the header descriptions are being abused. And, you know, fortunately, YouTube was able to take down the videos, right? But it's always going to be that kind of, you know, running game about, you know, them posting new videos with new ways to abuse those parameters, and then pass those on to newly infected uh, or previously infected uh, instances of the malware. So, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting way to to keep the malware, you know, fresh and be able to keep it active over time.
2: Yeah, that's a good that, point. That is true. That is true. I mean, uh, that's one yeah. of the. Oh, go ahead, Mike.
0: Uh, I was, was going to say that, um, and also because of the way they download the actual hashing module, you know, it does allow them to be a bit more dynamic too. So, like today, they're mining Monero, but you know, next week they could decide to mine, you know, you know doggy coin or, or some other uh, cryptocurrency, you know, depending upon, you know, what has the best value or is most opportune in the market for them right now. So uh, it's interesting to see how, um, you know, they've tried to make the malware uh, resilient um, to, you know, maximize the return on their efforts.
2: That is true. Actually, I have one point about what I already, Mike said. That's a really good point. Um, uh, one more thing, while it is doing basically the communication is TCP and it's uh, RCP for en- encrypted. And there's one uh, s- uh, unique characteristics, they found it is, it has 26 characters of the um, pi, like three point, whatever it goes up to 26 characters. Okay. And it's followed by the base 64 encoded value. So in the sample they observed that first 26 to be the um, common to all the, all the variants. I think that's what they could able to figure it out, you know, some variants of uh, the specific stand in CobotNet. Hmm. Um, and another unique feature is um, the code is downloaded at the start of the communication. For example, the victim, as soon as it communicates with the proxy, that's um, the Monero proxy, mm-hmm. it downloads the code onto the system. So why they are doing, uh, like Mike said, uh, the key point here is uh, they can change it on the fly. For example, today they are using it for Monero. Tomorrow they can use it for uh, another uh, coin miner, which may have more return for uh, their money. Mm-hmm. So they can change it on the fly. So uh, just a code update in one location, and it will be propagated to the victims whenever they try to communicate with this. Yeah. I think that's very easy to do. And how did they find out this is uh, Monero? Uh, for example, um, in the blockchain, they have something called height of uh, block blockchain. Um, for example, in the mining pools, they have uh, like a zero blockchain. That's the start of uh, any blockchain. From zero to, I think, every 10 minutes, they try to add another blockchain to that number. Okay. Uh, for example, um, Monero have certain number of blockchain mm-hmm. values, and another one will have certain number of blockchain values. But uh, the way, actually, the way I highlighted here is height in 1815711, that corresponds to Cryptonite R, which is basically Monero. That's how they figured out uh, they're targeting actually Monero in this case. Okay. Clever. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it has some uh, unique, uh, clever features. Uh, For example, any competing crypto mining uh, modules are there, it tries to kill them.
1: Yeah, I see. It's got like a a blacklist of of different arguments it's looking for. <laughs> and if it finds one, it, it knocks it, that process out. It knocks up. them out.
2: It knocks yeah. them out. And also, uh, it detects any security software. I think it could be AV and maybe anti-malware software. Yeah. Uh, how does it yeah. does? It has a CRC values of uh, some huge list of uh, security softwares. Uh, while it is actually scanning the any victim, it tries to get the running processes. And calculates the CRC values and hashes for them, oh, okay. and compares that value with the list they have. Mm-hmm. So, okay, once it has, it does some some other thing, and also if it detects if the victim laptop or PC is running on uh, just battery alone, not plugged into the, you know, right. Uh, also, if the taskbar is open, it tries to basically shut down the module. So that the user doesn't have any indication of you know something is going on with right. respect to the mining.
1: Yeah, it's it's trying to stay stealthy, but uh, it's also as trying, long
2: as it possible.
1: As long as it possibly can, but, yeah. it's, but but you mentioned when it's on battery power, it's not plugged into any sort of wall outlet. Yeah, uh, it stops it entirely. Stops. It doesn't it doesn't ramp down to you know five no. percent or something. It just. Straight up stops.
2: Yeah, even then, if you try to see in the task manager and any other process like a process that 32, which are similar to task manager, mm-hmm. it hides itself. You can't see in that one. Huh. So that that I thought a very interesting tactic. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, hiding in plain sight. Hiding in plain tactics sight. going on. I think the way uh, the stand over botnet is delivered is by web injects and ad injects. So that means it can come through a blended threat like a mal-spam or also maybe someone is trying to do, go to visit some malicious questionable sites. Uh, these miners can be downloaded. I think uh, a basic internet hygiene should be followed. That, that kind of uh, mitigates the risk for this uh, specific threat. Hi Mike, uh, you have an interesting story about hidden uh, spy cams in uh, you know, gas station pumps. Could you explain a little bit about the story?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, credit card skimming is something that's a well-established method for cyber criminals to monetize their activities, right? And there's a number of ways um, that can, this can be done, depending upon the you know, technical scenario, using various hardware and software approaches. What was interesting was, uh, was last week, uh, the Las Vegas Police Department recovered a device uh, installed at a gas station Uh, that was using a small pinhole camera uh, to capture uh, card and pin pad data um, as users um, were at the pump. Mm -hmm. And uh, what was interesting was that, uh, again, this really isn't the first time you've seen these types of devices either put on an ATM machine or even a gas pump. Uh, But what was interesting about this particular scenario was that the uh, pinhole camera in, in question was a long black bar uh, about an inch thick and about you know 24, you know 28 inches wa- wide, long, and was jammed up in the top of the uh, gas station pump frame. So it was looking down at the users. They took their card out of their wallet, put the card in the machine, and then entered the pin. Um, and this was actually installed and hooked into the gas pump itself, so mm-hmm. that it could draw power as well as. Um, Uh, not only for powering the camera, but for powering a Bluetooth connection that would allow the perpetrators to, you know, pull up into the gas station, you know, within uh, range of the Bluetooth signal and wirelessly download all the stolen data uh, that the camera had obtained.
1: So in this case, they're using Bluetooth, which means you could kind of just drive up, grab the stuff and go.
0: So uh, this is pretty interesting because um, you know, there, there's always that, 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 that running game about who's going to find the next way to, to capture this information. You know, for instance, you know, most gas station pin pads uh, are encrypted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can't actually intercept the pin after it's been entered uh, into the encrypted pin pad. Um, so really getting it via a video feed. Um, is a way to get around that encryption control, um, and the camera itself was set to activate on motion. So when there was nobody at the pump, it would shut down to conserve power and storage space uh, mm-hmm. in the device. Uh, now, fortunately, the device was, you know, identified and removed within a couple hours uh, of it being installed, so nothing was, you know, really wasn't any impact there. Um, but particularly as we're going into the holiday season and people are going to be traveling more into strange areas you know, out there on the highways and byways of America, um, definitely there's going to need uh, to be a heightened awareness of these types of techniques so that people can stay vigilant and, and protect themselves as they travel. Uh, so To help minimize your risk while you're traveling around, there's a few tips. First of all, always use a credit card at a gas pump. Don't use a debit card. Uh, that's going to you know, prevent any kind of pin interception, regardless of how it's done. Uh, The second is when you get to the pump, make sure you're looking to see if any of those security seals have been tampered with, those little yellow or orange stickers that show the pump's been sealed. Make sure that those are intact. If not, you know, find a different pump. Uh, Also, look for uh, gas pumps that are newer um, as opposed to the older pumps, specifically gas pumps that have uh, vertical slots for insertion of payment cards rather than horizontal insertion slots as well as raised metallic keypads as opposed to the old style smooth plastic number pads. Uh, those newer pumps with the metal keypads are much harder to tamper with. If they get opened inappropriately, the pumps shut down. If the keypads get moved, they, they disable. Um, so there's a lot of controls built into those uh, that are not there uh, in the legacy pumps. Uh, and also, just sort of as a, as a broader thought, um, cards these days, newer cards, they do not actually have the numbers um, stamped on the front in, you know, in an embossed, uh, raised lettering. You know, There's no number on the front of the cards. Uh, the number is flat printed on the back of the cards. So, depending upon uh, the style of credit card and debit cards that you have or payment cards that you have, you may want to reach out to your financial institution, see what it would take to get a, a new card reissued that has uh, some enhanced security features there as well.
2: Right. those are interesting I mean um, the first thing the way you're explaining is it's always good to use credit card instead of debit mm-hmm. and also probably yeah. yeah and also probably if you're if you have to use a debit card maybe cover up with the other hand while you're entering the pin pad that, w- so, that would protect against uh, oh, yeah, I mean, watching your. your I train. mean, in this case, uh, the encryption itself has been defeated by simple means.
1: Yeah, yeah, by <laughs> very simple means, by very yeah you know, somewhat low-tech means. Another another thing that you can do, uh, another tip although people forget it exists is cash you, know, you could always just yeah. walk in and, and you know drop 20 or 40 bucks on the, on the table and you're good to go. Yeah. Um, albeit you know you do have to walk into the station which I can understand is yeah yeah you know you don't want to do it but that is that is another option you can take. So.
0: yeah, particularly if you want to you know take advantage of the lower pricing offered for cash or debit card versus credit card transactions at most convenience store uh, right. gas stations.
1: Right, and this whole thing could secretly be a an electric vehicle ad. Mm.
0: So, yes, yes. If you had an electric vehicle, uh, that would be uh, an area to avoid gas pumps altogether.
1: Because I don't think we've seen skimmers at like a charge station, right? I mean, I I certainly haven't heard of. Um, I
2: mean that uh, they were theories, but I think this is the first instance uh, they found out that you're using a Bluetooth low-energy In a module yeah, that is interesting that yeah. is interesting, but it's a it's a timely w- Reminder to all the folks basically you, because of the holiday season to be a little bit more vigilant and pay attention
1: Yeah, to, you know. yeah, yeah for me. It's it's the the pay attention I mean yeah. look at I mean we all know what a gas pump looks like yeah. and, and I think we're clever enough to figure out You know hey that that thing looks kind of plastic. Right. It looks a little strange, and, and I love the idea of looking at those seals, yeah. And because if, if they are tampered with or anything like that, you know, you definitely don't. Find another pump and, you know, maybe be a good Samaritan and tell someone, hey, yeah. I think this pump's been tampered with.
2: I think uh, this is not easy to see with the naked eye, basically. The reason is it's a pinhole, and it's pointed down to the keypad, unless someone really notices it, it's, it's invisible.
0: Did you uh, see that article about Pixie
1: Rat? I did, yeah. It was pretty interesting. So the, uh, some researchers over at Silence actually discovered this, what they called a sophisticated campaign that's ongoing. Um, it's been seen in the wild. Um, 30 different um, incidents, so to speak, cases have, have happened. But uh, at the heart of this, this campaign is this thing mm-hmm. called a Pixie Rat. Okay. So PixieRat uh it's it's uh, it's a python based trojan so that's why there's the the py mm-hmm. um, and then they renamed it I think I think the files themselves are named pyx instead of C. C okay. so the folks over at silence cleverly decided to call it pixie, pixie Rat. Uh, and okay. then it's a remote access trojan of course um, but it's pretty sophisticated in the things that it can do mm-hmm. so you know right off the top some of the some of its capabilities is, you know it's capable of keylogging stealing login credentials uh, recording videos, but it can also download more malware
2: because
1: uh, okay. it, it establishes a CNC a com- uh, command and control. Um, how it actually gets on your machines is actually through side loading.. Okay. So you download a legitimate um, application, something that does what it is intended to do, uh-huh. but it's been trojanized. And so you get that that software on your machine, uh, and then, you know, kind of in the background surreptitiously, you get this Pixie rat installed.
2: If someone is trying to get a free game, off for Tetris, of course you will get the game, but along with that, um, the users might be getting additional unwanted uh, pieces or software along with that one.
1: So it's the, the researchers have have stated that it's you know it's sophisticated for a lot of different reasons. One of them is what we just talked about. It's it's complex in in how it's it's built, but it's you know feel fully featured. It can mm-hmm. do kind of a bunch of different things. Um, another a reason why they actually mentioned it's it's sophisticated is it's actually been active since uh, 2018, okay. And we're only now just discovering this at the end of 2019, mm-hmm. um, which sort of it, it suggests that you know the authors of this malware, are very, you know, they spent a lot of time uh, and put a lot of effort into making this thing hard to detect. And um, there's a, there's a, there's a little bit that's touched on in the article. It talks about how there's there's some um, evasion. Techniques, Techniques. okay. So it'll clean up some of the things that it does to make it harder. It doesn't leave as many artifacts on the machine as you'd like it to. What it does, once it gets onto your machine, it actually utilizes PowerShell to uh, to escalate privileges and to gain persistence. Um, Silence actually has, on their blog, has a great article on it Mm -hmm. um, that goes into a lot of technical detail if if you want the actual low-level information. Um, so I would suggest go read that, um, or you can go to ZDNet and read kind of the higher level yeah. um, portion of it. But um, what, what was another interesting aspect of it is there's actually this this third stage, I guess you if you want to call it that, but it's called Cobalt, mold, cobalt mode. Is it part of the
2: Cobalt Strike?
1: Yeah, so okay. so Cobalt Strike yeah. is a is a very well known uh, pen testing suite. Mm-hmm. you know it's used for command and control. You know, yep. communicating with with infected machines, compromised machines, and whatnot. And um, there's a there's a Cobalt mode built into the actual malware itself, which establishes command and, uh, command and control mechanism. Oh. Um, and it has the option for another stage of payload, uh, another payload. Okay. So it's it's complex in that way. Yeah. Um. So because it uses Cobalt Strike, it, it's actually it's hard to it's. Uh, it's hard to gain attribution. It's hard to say, you know, this malware is from this actor. Or maybe this campaign it, it, is part of the same campaign. You
2: can't really distinguish between pen testing and malicious testing. It's yeah.
1: it's difficult to do because mm. it's because Cobalt Strike is used legitimately by a lot of different pen testers yeah. and malware authors, frankly. So, uh, it's,
0: Well, and, and beyond that, like any kind of, you know, intrinsic, you know, attributes that might be associated with the way somebody writes code in a particular threat actor group aren't present, right? Because they're literally using that third-party written code in this case.
1: Yeah, Mm. yeah, so it's just sort of a generic tool in that at that point. So it's hard to say this, you know, this threat actor is known to have these artifacts occur or, you know, is known to have this sort of naming nomenclature or something. If that's all sort of abstracted away now, because it's, they're just using Cobalt Strike.
2: So it's a multi-stage mm-hmm. Trojan, and as right. you said, um, I think I read about uh, even LogMeIn and some Google Apps, actually, they can be sideloaded. And also, I, I think at one stage they also mentioned about Tetris, like a Trojanized Tetris <laughs> version. <laughs> so don't get yes. the games from the internet from uh, unknown sources, right?
1: Right, right. And and the the uh, uh, ZDNet actually talks about uh-huh. a particular application, which is a game, okay. um, that they discovered was actually Trojanized, and, and then you know you can get Pixie right that mm-hmm. method. So to to protect yourself, to not get this this malware, yes, don't download games that are from weird sources or weird publishers, yeah. you know. Um, make sure you're sticking to legitimate games, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So. so it
0: also calls into question that whole economy of free, right? I mean, you know, the games in question that they referenced are, you know, freeware games that could be downloaded and edited and then re-uploaded again. So, you know, even... And, and there's lots of research that's done on the ways that you know, attackers try to get various pieces of malware into a legitimate play store and then subsequently update it out of band with malicious content to make it, you know, a malicious application. And, and, you know, there's various techniques to do that. Um, But, you know, really you get what you pay for. And if you're, you know, a fan of downloading, you know, free, you know, software, chances are that software is going to be monetizing itself either through, you know, distribution of software. You know, selling your personal information. You know, some method. You know, serving up ads, which you know you can also get infected via the ad network, right? Um, with malicious ads. So, you know, that whole like just avoiding those those sets of shareware free applications um, in general is is good advice.
2: Also, I mean, um, if somebody is downloading a game, a gamer probably might have a powerful rig, right? And that can be leveraged for mining, crypto yeah. mining. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a possibility also. You're thinking like a
1: malware author here, Ganesh. <laughs> I like it. I like no. it. But the, uh, the, yeah. the, uh, getting something infected, getting a Trojanized app on the, onto the Google Play Store, mm-hmm. some sort of software store, it's not new. You know, it's that's something new. that we see. And you see it all the time in the news where you know, Google will come out and say, you know, we cut so many you know, X number apps, yeah. and usually that number is pretty large. It's yeah. not like they found six yeah. or seven. It's yeah. usually like a couple hundred or a couple thousand. Yeah. So, to your point Mike, I think this just unders- underscores that. It's just very important that you understand, if, mm-hmm. that you get what you pay for, especially when you're downloading games from strange publishers, and it's free. Is, yeah. it, is it really free?
2: No, not really. And also I think um, we are in the holiday season, and uh, most of the kids will be at home, you know, with yeah. the vacation, they'll be bored at their grandparents' house, really. and they will be playing the games. And right. so, it, it's time right. to be a little vigilant again. Yeah, I agree.
0: Well, and the good, the good news about this particular rat is that just having, you know, good cyber hygiene practices is going to mitigate a lot of the risk associated with this. So, if they've, you know, mm-hmm. got an endpoint security package, um, you know, on on the on the machine, that's going to help. In a corporate setting, you know, if you're monitoring and restricting permissions, um, you know, for things like PowerShell and other types of administrative tools, that's going to help, you know, lock down that risk, right? So, ultimately, you're, you're seeing this rat like many other malware packages, you know, taking advantage of, you know, that lack of cyber hygiene in some way, shape, or form.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yep. Yep, I agree. And... Um the, the last point I want to make mm-hmm. is this malware seems to be targeting the um, education and um, healthcare sectors. So it
2: seems to be targeted. Education, again, it's leaning towards the students who are more prone to play more games than, uh, you know, non-students. Yeah. Paying attention to where we are getting it and uh, try to minimize, to trying to uh, get from other sources rather than approved channels. I'll, I'll show you the internet weather for the last, since last week and uh, what are the top ports and uh, what trends we are seeing here. Okay. First up uh, we have a uh, top ten most broad ports. Uh, there are not much changes compared to last week as you can see uh, the first three is a 23 Telnet, 1433 SQL, 445 SMB, ECHO request 8545 which is the one I want to talk a little bit more about that, RDP, SSH, 26, 26 is, uh, I believe, it's uh, similar to FTP, but it's also used by some sort of some um, Alta Vista firewalls. So it's interesting. I never seen that port come up on the top ten. Um, it was, as you can change in this, see here from the change, it's none to jump by in eight eight positions from last week. And 8089 is used by Splunk Daemon. And it is down actually, and ADTZP is a regular one. Um, Let's go through the the fifth port here for 8545, which is used by Ethereum, uh, which is well known, you know, another uh, miner. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here I'm showing the 365 days of uh, backbone traffic, how we are seeing the volumetrically. I mean, as you can see, uh, there was a huge spike like uh, at the beginning of the last year or something like that, but as you can see per, m- Much of the year it was pretty stable But I think uh, since a week or ten days it's kind of ramping up mm-hmm. and Maybe that's because of the reason and the way our algorithm works This has jumped up few places to the position number five but as such, uh, uh, there's not much activity. But because of the way it was so stable for long, some long time, and suddenly it peaked up, it was reflecting in our top count. Okay. Uh, as you know, it's used for Ethereum, JSON, RPC. It's basically, that's how it provides the remote access for you know, some actions to be performed on Ethereum. Uh, what else? This is a different view, the graph showing you know, how many unique scanners or scan sources are seen on this specific board.
1: Mm, okay. As
2: we can see, there's not much uh, change except for you know, regular peaks happening for an d- uh, hour or two, uh, and then basically tapering out. Like if you see from since uh, end of March this year, yeah. at some regular intervals, there are a big spike in number of scanners, and it's coming down. I think it's happening for a certain period of time.
1: Yeah, it might be one particular very large botnet turning it on for a oh, yeah. and then turning either it that
2: on. could be someone just scanning. You know, they regularly scan on regular schedule and grab the right. results and just go dormant again at the like a cron job checking in. Yeah. 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 Uh, As you can see here, there are not much activities. I mean, you you can see at the peak, it is averaging around 30 to 45 Mm -hmm. scan sources per hour. Mm -hmm. So I'm just showing it to say there's not really much increase, uh, any sort of like similar attributes. you can do to some botnet or something happening. But I think it seems uh, pretty obvious. It's it's stable at this point. Yeah. Uh, That's one thing I want to talk about. And uh, coming back here, Uh, I already told 8089 is uh, related to Splunk D. Probably there's a little bit of scanning happening since a week or two uh, because uh, there were some news about um, some Y2K kind of bug when uh, Splunk. Probably people are a little interested to see what's happening. That's a peaked interest. Other than that, I do not see any reason to be up here. And again, uh, this week actually it dropped uh, full point. You know, basically that means there's not much happening in that space here.
1: Do you expect it to continue to drop, so say next week it would be out of the top 10 entirely?
2: Um, um, it seems like it because yeah. it dropped so many points. It's, it's yeah.
1: trending that way, Yeah,
2: But you could change any time, you know. Yeah, you never know, <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, and another thing. Let's move on to the top 10 most sources probing. In this case also, pretty much the top five, there are no changes at all. If you see from last week to this week, the 445, uh, 2314, 80, 80, 80, this stayed the same. There are much deviation at all. Uh, but the sixth position is 5555, which is uh, ADB Android debug port. I'll talk a little bit about that one. 22TCP, even though it jumped three positions, uh, there's not much change in the activity which I'm kind of skipping on that one, but I, I I talk a little bit about the last one, the top to 1, one TCP. Okay, cool. Um, I, uh, this is Android Debug uh, Bridge, but even though it's used by Android Debug Bridge, I think uh, in this case what we're seeing from our um, Honeypot data is it scans for Huawei-based routers. Mm, okay. So there specifically some exploits that are trying to use it, and that's what's actually happening i think uh it's pretty consistent um, but the, still we are seeing the scan chips are uh, pretty much high compared to other ports. that's why we are seeing it um, and uh, another one is eight to nine one which is a microtic port oh micro uh, yeah microtic port uh. Uh, I think uh, in my last thread track, I talked about a um, couple of vulnerabilities which can be daisy-chained into providing backdoor access to you know, certain uh, MikroTik devices with certain versions. If somebody is not running the latest version, uh, like a series of four vulnerabilities can be chained to get a backdoor access. I think uh, in this case, probably they're still trying to look for uh, any 8-9-1 TCP MikroTik devices.
1: MikroTik has just kind of been in internet weather, in and out, uh, and it just doesn't seem to be going away.
0: The views expressed on AT&T ThreatTrack are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent the views of AT&T or any other person or entity.